welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. It is good to be with you on this fourth Sunday of Advent. Advent, as you remember, is the church calendar's way of putting kind of stops, traffic stops, slow down, speed bumps in the rush that can become our Western version of the Christmas season, where it just seems we fly past, obviously uh, celebrating along the way, but sometimes not stopping long enough to really actually, actually we probably don't celebrate as much as we party, and because celebration requires a presence, it requires an engagement, it requires us to be where we are, yeah? And Advent just invites us to stop at the station stops of peace and hope and joy and this morning, love. Um, And in in the middle of all of this, uh, this past week has been a challenging one in in all all kinds of ways. If you've been paying attention in the news, uh, maybe your own personal journey has been challenging. Uh, Maybe um, this season has brought to light some some tensions within family systems that you've been wrestling with or or maybe they were buried since last year and this year they raise their heads again you know they tend to 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 do that um and it's and it's hard maybe maybe this is just just where i'm at but at some points it's hard to believe in love as much as god does it's hard to trust that love is going to win. It's hard in a culture in which we are reduced to warring voices camped. There's a scene in the Old Testament in which two warring parties are on opposite sides of a valley and are yelling at each other across the void. And it just feels sometimes like that, doesn't it? And not just in our political discourse, but in, 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 in families, and in, it, it just feels like um, that there's, no, there's not a whole lot of space in the middle for us to come together. The text that I'm going to look at this morning is a very, very familiar one. It's one that you will recognize immediately. Yeah, I probably don't even need to put it on the board, but I want to, I, I want to notice, I want you to notice a couple of things. This is built... John, uh, John's gospel, the, the, the one, two, three John, the letters at the back end of the New Testament uh, are, are probably soaked, saturated with love more than almost any other, any other text in scripture uh, and, a, and a deliberate, uh, deliberate fashion because already by the end of the first century, the church was wondering whether love was going to be enough. Uh, and John uh, says to us over and over again in all kinds of ways, if love isn't enough, nothing else will be. And love is enough. Love is enough. Um, he begins, you know, in his letters with this declaration that God is love. He starts his gospel with this outrageous declaration that in the beginning was the word and the word was God, and 
not just with God, but was God. Nothing was created except through this word. And this word, this word of love spoken, this word that was the expression of love, this word, this love became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw what he was really like. He was full of grace and truth. Astounding. Astounding. Um, So it's not surprising when I tell you that the text this morning is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe into him would have eternal life, would not perish, would have eternal life. Because you see, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You believe it? It's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's easy, but it's so hard. We are love-averse in our culture. We have been so damaged and so wounded and so hurt and so broken by so many that we have a, a, an inch-thick protective barrier. And we need to be soaked in love long enough that it softens enough to risk vulnerability again, yeah? It's just, we have been wounded by false love. We have been, we have been, had our hearts broken. I I can't imagine that there's a person in the room that at some point or other has not had your heart broken. And the reason is very simple. You have to have your heart broken. Otherwise, love has no place to get in and no place to leak out. A broken heart is not to be met with fear, protecting ourselves that it never be broken again. And that's our natural clench, right? It's our natural instinct. When, when we are hurt by a loved one especially, This is why I love the story at the back end of John, which should be a Christmas text, where Peter and Jesus are in their final conversation, as far as we can tell, right? And Jesus is not concerned about Peter's theology of the cross or theology of forgiveness. He is not concerned about whether Peter will ever betray him again. He knows in all likelihood that Peter and we who are Peter's friends will likely betray him again. That's not what he cares about. He's not even concerned about whether Peter is grateful that Jesus is giving him another chance. He's not even concerned about that. He just wants to know, hey buddy, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter wishes for the opportunity to declare undying loyalty and faithfulness Peter wants to throw himself at some level on the ground and just beg forgiveness. 
Peter, in all likelihood, at least if he were me, would, would, would want Jesus to be at least angry. Because when you've done something stupid, you want the, do, 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 you, know what, do you know what I mean? And, and, and Jesus, no, 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 no. That's not actually what love does. Peter, do you love me? Notice, not Peter, do you know that I love you? But Peter, have you gotten broken enough, roughed up enough, that my love for you has soaked in enough that you can answer the question with honesty, do you love me? Do you love me? So this phrase begins with this declaration, the king, creator, Lord of all the earth, all of the world, all of creation, this, this expression of God's love which, to which his heart is drawn. This God loves this world so much. Love here is, is disposition. It's then uh, um, uh, uh, attitude, decision, right? It's then decision that moves to action and then has this, this, this universal, deeply personal awareness. God doesn't love the world in general. He loves the world in specific. Uh, the psalmist is just blown away by the granular detail of God's love for him. Jesus echoes this idea when he tells us that he sees sparrows when they fall. He knows the numbers of hairs on our head. He knows the, 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 the particular nature of our individuality. God doesn't love mankind, he loves you. He doesn't love humankind in general, he loves you. It's like uh, our, 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 my, my, my favorite theologian is Linus from the Peanuts cartoon strip, anybody? <laughs> know him he says uh, it's he stands on his declaration I love mankind it's people I can't stand <laughs> anybody know what that feels like it's like it's, as long as they're the great mass of unknowns I can generally hallmark love them yeah but when I when I'm face to face with somebody across the, the, the aisle or when I'm face to face with somebody across the table, that's when love gets, gets down and dirty, right? It's get, when it gets down to the reality of it. And, and God loves the world in that way. By the way, he loves the earthworm the same way because it is also an expression of his love. And until we begin to see God's love for and in each and every aspect of his creation, including the person who annoyed you on the drive to church this morning, whom you may be sitting beside actually now, until <laughs> we can actually see God's love for them in the same way as his love for us, we are not getting how much God loves the world. And we will probably struggle with how much God loves us 
because we live conditionally. We love conditionally, yeah? When then? No. God begins with this declaration of love for the world and then moves to action. God, God does not see the world as a problem to be solved. God invites us to this awareness. And, and again, like I said, I'm not sure that I trust love as much as God does, uh, even in me. I find myself often reverting to shame and to guilt, uh, to fear much too quickly. Uh, this, this past week has been very painful and very difficult for me in a lot of different ways. My pride has taken numerous needed hits this week, right? And, and, I, and, I, and I, just, I just find some ugly still pretty close to the surface that wants to bubble up. Are you all hearing that? Yes. Oh, good. <laughs> Am I leaving and nobody else knows? <laughs> Another angel, there you go, gets the swings. Sorry. Um, but here, here is this, 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 this awareness, and I find how easy it is when somebody steps on my toes or when somebody doesn't treat me the way I think I need to be treated or whether somebody doesn't take account of, of, of the gift that I am in their presence. You, you know what I mean, you know what I mean. By the way, did anybody else have a new appreciation for Alex this morning after that announcement? I, I, uh, God bless that dear woman, I'll tell you. <laughs> whoa, whoa, well played, well played. But when that's challenged in me, right? When that's challenged in me, I find myself too quickly reverting to anger, to resentment, to bitterness, to isolation, uh, and then, you know, it unravels a bit more, and then there's shame, and the realization, well, you're really not all that great, you know. And on and on and on and on and on and down the wormhole. Right? And all of that really is an indicator that somewhere in my soul, love has leaked out. I've forgotten what's true. I've forgotten what's true about me. I've forgotten what's true about other people. I've forgotten what's true about the universe. But mostly, I've forgotten what's true about God that He is love. And so when he loves the world, it's not something that he's doing objectifying the world, it's something he does as a natural expression of who he is. So it's not surprising that the first expression that John celebrates here is that God's love for the world, God's trust in love for the world, results in God's action towards the world. He gave his only begotten son.
God's love for the world is such that he sent Jesus so that we could know how deeply, truly, passionately loved we really are. This has um, been hitting me this week. I talked about it in chapel here a couple of weeks ago. But how tiny love has to be for us to begin to accept it. Does that make sense? Because God has in times past, remember, since Genesis 3 been showing up in the scene of our lives and what has been, been our response to him? No matter how gently he came to us, what have we done consistently time and time and time again? We've hidden from him. We have been in awe of his glory. We're happy to worship, but we hide behind our worship from real encounter, right? We grab a hold of our Genesis 3 trees and hope he can't see our fingers on the other side. He overwhelms us with awe, and truly, God is awesome. But when love needs to be expressed, Fear will drive out love just as surely as love will drive out fear. Fear builds that barrier to love, right? And, and that's, what, that's, what, that's what has, has, has happened. And, and, and God has, has learned, if I can put my air quotes around that, <laughs> that in order for us to be loved, he has to come to us in a force uh, that is, excuse me, in a form that requires us to embrace vulnerability. We have to feel like we're, 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 we're able to manage this. And so he comes as a baby, a baby that had a 15, 16 year old girl not cared for him could have died. You wanna talk vulnerable? Um, and, and, and we want, we, we want a God who's big and powerful and overwhelming to protect us. He doesn't wanna protect us. He wants to be with us in the middle of our pain. He doesn't wanna protect us from pain because God has learned. <laughs> we are yet learning that pain is the only way to expand capacity for love. Almost the only way. So he comes as a tiny little baby. He, 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 he loves, he gave his only begotten son so that we would know that we are loved. He comes to, 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 to woo. He comes to be needy, which is what love does to open up spaces, right? with the outcome that whoever believes into him, I'm changing the, the, the preposition there to more accurately reflect what, what John is saying, what Jesus is saying, who believes into him. This is not a believing things about him. Jesus is, is not all that concerned that you believe all of the right things about him, but he is really concerned that you stand in the reality of his having come to be with us. 
And you believe into that, that you step into, that's called faith, you step in that reality and, and, and then live out of the center of that, yeah? So, so, so we're invited into, into believing into. I'm guessing if we did a survey that, that, that some of us in this room, myself included, would probably be believing things about Jesus that are not true, that are even maybe heretical. Or certainly we, we haven't gotten to the place where the things we believe about Jesus would be uh, checked off somebody's list of orthodox belief stuff. That, Jesus isn't concerned about that. Not, not yet. What he's concerned about is do you believe what's actually true enough to stand in the reality that is created by love? Whoever believes into him, into who he is, will have eternal life. He's not talking about life that stretches on forever and ever after you die. He's talking about having stood into the reality of who he is, you begin to experience that life from above here and now. When Jesus announced the kingdom is available for entry, he meant it. You can actually, as a Soul reality live in eternity now. And, and, and I get the whole after you die stuff, I get all of that, but friends, you're not gonna die. Your body is going to assume a different shape, a different form that's more suited to the life for which you were actually built. You, that's not me, by the way, Jesus says that. So when he promises us, as we stand in the reality of who he is, as we believe into him and start to live out the reality, the love that has been lived in, that is what eternal life actually looks like. And I wish he'd connected a little bit more closely, but John knows that we need the breadcrumbs, right? So it's not till a little bit later that he says, well, y'all know what eternal life is, right? It's to know the Father. Oh, wait, what? Eternal life is a relationship with the Father? It's not someplace I go when I die? It's not some quality of life? No, no, it's to know the Father. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever, whoever would stand in the reality of God's Son come down to us would know him. That's what love does. It longs, desires, strategizes, plots, plans, risks for this single, simple thing that you might know him. Again, not know about him, but know him. Know him. I'm, I'm starting to feel, aren't you, that love is a whole lot more profound than any Hallmark movie or card will ever be able to contain. That's why God trusts it. 
He knows how love actually works. We're just floating on the surface of the ocean and wondering if it will be adequate. God says, no, when you, when you step into the reality of what I have done, when you know who I am, then you'll trust it as much as I am, I do. Because the goal here, we don't talk an awful lot about this in Christian circles. We talk, there are three stages of spiritual formation classically. One is, 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 is purgation, getting rid of all of the trash. The, the other is illumination, uh, being filled with the righteousness of God. And we talk, we talk mostly about this one, not enough about this one, and nothing at all about where this is all going, which is union with God being filled with the fullness of God. Jesus said, I want my joy to be in you so that your joy, wait, what? My joy to be in you so that your joy is made complete. Union with God. Brothers, sisters, sitting here in this middle school auditorium, you are not just built for eternity. You are built for union with God. That's why it's critical that I begin to see love at the center of my soul and see love at the center of your soul. Because you see, God didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Can we just sit with that for just a second? In this age in which we feel it's important to stand on our mountaintop with our flag and declare everybody else wrong. God did not come into the world. And by the way, if anybody could have condemned the world, it was him. But he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He didn't come into the world to shame the world into straightening up its act. He did not come into the world with anything other than the power of a greater affection. God knows that the only thing that will result in the saving of the world is a realignment of love, a restoration of humanity to the image in which it was originally created. Love and love alone creates the environment in which life change is possible. And this is hard for us. This is hard for us. It's one of the reasons why we think punishment is the way to change. Mm. There are times when maybe punishment is appropriate. I can't speak to that. I just know that that's where we go when we don't trust love enough. This is why I believe for anybody who cares, which ought not be any of you, that there has to be a place called hell. There has to be a place where people who will not let God love them can exist in the illusion that God doesn't love them. It's not a destination, it's a way of existence.
Love and love alone creates the environment in which the life change that we desperately need happens. What would happen? What would happen to the rancor that we see so evident in the echo chamber that is Facebook or Instagram or Twitter? What would happen if we began to see that person on the other side of that exchange as valued, loved, precious, chosen? I can't let my opinion get in the way of my relationship. This is why God trusts love so much. It pushes back against our fear, the source of our mistreatment of others. And, and, and again, maybe I don't need to say this, but I'm going to anyway. We, we don't have as many examples as, would, as we would like about, see the problem with guilt and shame is that it changes behavior, surface behavior quickly. Now what we don't take into account is that the reason the surface behavior changes because we, we, we are withdrawing, right? We, do, we don't want to, to be hurt again. Hmm. But, but underneath the source of the behavior has never been addressed has never been changed. Do, do you know? And until that's addressed, all of this is performance. I just have, I, I've not actually become a better person. I've just learned how to behave so you don't hit me. That's not the same thing. I want to become a better person. Love is the only thing that's going to accomplish that outcome. This is why God trusts it, because there's nothing else in the universe that has the capacity to do this. This is, this is, this is the astounding thing, is that God is, is rolling the dice on love. So much so that if, you, if we choose to reject it, he has no plan B. This is it. Condemnation will never accomplish transformation, which is what he's after. And so he invites us into this universe. This is what, by the way, <laughs> this is what believing into him calls you to as well. What's our orientation to the world? We struggle with with love, I think, as being adequate, with a kid who's gone off the rails, with the friend who's betrayed us. Right? With a company that did us wrong. And on and on the list goes. But if we follow Jesus, if we believe into him, we simply have to learn how to set aside our fearful judging of others. If for no other reason that we can't be trusted to judge others. We don't, we're not, we don't have 
the, the information we need to formally evaluate anybody's, any, right? Have you ever found yourself in a conversation where somebody said something and it just changed your whole perspective on who they were or what they have done or what? You just learned one tiny little fact that just shifts everything. Yeah, why don't we assume that's true about our judgments of other people's motives and perspectives and opinions? Only God loves the world well enough to judge it wisely. And the outcome of God's love is not condemnation, but that the world through him might be saved. It's the only thing that's gonna do it. So what does that call us to? Well, I think you already know, yeah. I think you already know. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.